Welcome to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. To contact Dr. Danny and learn more about the ministry, visit drdanny.live. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life today. Danny Yamashiro here. Welcome to The Good Life encouraging you with inspirational stories to share with family and friends through perspectives of hope in Jesus Christ. How does a man who was once an All-American and All-Ivy League football player survive a spinal cord injury that left him paralyzed from the waist down? What lessons did the Lord teach him? How did he get back on his feet? This is the story of Dr. John Quazo, an inspirational life of faith, perseverance, humility, and lasting devotion to Jesus Christ. We pause to remind you the reason we have the Good Life program. Dear friend, well, it's to share how the love of Christ makes a difference in the lives of people. What am I talking about? Well, I'm talking about the love of Jesus so strong that he died on the cross for your sins and mine. He was buried, yes, but three days later, he rose again from the grave, offering God's hope, God's hope to you. Whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through, there is always hope in Jesus. And it is our prayer that you would turn, turn your heart to Christ and open your heart Receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord. And dear one, if you already know the Lord, well, this is a time to to be strengthened, strengthened in your faith. Dr. John Quazo is the Vice President of Discovery Technologies at Relay Therapeutics. He earned his Bachelor of Science degree from Brown University in Biophysics, his MA in Archaeology from Boston University, his Ph.D. from Tufts University School of Medicine in Cellular and Molecular Physiology and completed his postdoctoral studies at MIT. John was an All-Ivy League Center at Brown and a member of the National Foundation, the National Football Foundation College Hall of Fame Class of 1987. He is an elder at Westgate Church in Weston. He's married to Dr. Lilia Quazo a pediatrician. They have two adult children, Sarah and William. John, welcome to our show. Thank you so much, Danny. appreciate being here. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Montclair, New Jersey. I was actually born uh, in Chicago, Illinois. My dad was out there in uh, graduate school when he met my, my mom. And uh, then my dad had uh, grown up in New Jersey. So uh, they he moved back to, to New Jersey and, and grew up in, in Montclair, not too far from New York City. What do you remember about growing up there in Montclair? Montclair was a great community, great town. Um, had uh, you know all kinds of uh, fantastic uh, uh, schools that we got to go to. Um, the public school system was tremendous. Um, just the educational experience there was, was great. Um, we also had... Um, a uh, you know just a, a an excellent time uh, learning about um, you know all the different uh, 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 
history of that of that town. There was a, a you know a house there that uh, that Buzz Aldrin grew up in. So we <laughs> we had some connections with with some history there in the town. Um, but yeah, I just love being uh, being there. You know, great parks, great great uh, experience um, uh, overall growing up. Distilling, you mentioned Buzz Aldrin. Mm-hmm. Distilling the attitude of greatness. Mm-hmm. Who would you say influenced you most in your growing up years? Oh, definitely my dad. Um, my dad was uh, was an orthodontist uh, in a neighboring town, Glen Ridge, New Jersey. Uh, he had grown up in Glen Ridge um, and played football there. Uh, actually, his brother, Gary Quazzo, uh, also played football there and uh, actually became a professional football player <laughs> as well. So playing for uh, a number of teams, starting with the Colts, uh, Vikings, Saints, and then c- ending with the Cardinals. So uh, between both of them, um, just a lot of uh, focus on uh, uh, you know, science as well as, as, well as sports um, brought into my life. SNS, right? Mm-hmm. Science and sports. <laughs> what did they tell you? What did you pick up from them? I mean, we're talking about distilling this attitude of quote-unquote greatness. Uh, what, what was it about dad and uncle? So yeah, my dad um, was an incredibly hard worker. Uh, he uh, was always encouraging me to um, be as well-rounded as I could. I mean, if it was up to myself, I would have probably just stayed indoors, uh, you know, working on my little science projects or building my models. I mean, he always encouraged me to get outside and, and, and play sports and, uh, you know, engage uh, physically uh, in um, you know, competition. I was not an athlete at all growing up. <laughs> I was uh, much, like I said, much more interested in science and reading and doing my studies. But, but he pushed me. I mean, we, you know, he encouraged me to go out and, like I said, exercise, play, test myself. I mean, there were, you know, I was always the last one picked on every team. I was always the slowest. Whenever there was a running race in the class, you know, you'd find me catching up in the end. My brothers and and sister were, were much more athletic than I was. But he always encouraged me to to push myself physically and not to not to give up in that in that respect. Your faith, your your faith in Christ, uh, again distilling the attitude of greatness. How did you become a Christ follower? Great question. So I grew up in the Catholic Church, uh, being an Italian family in in North Jersey. Um, it was uh, basically default that you would be going to uh, going to a Catholic church. So um, you know, learned a lot there about who God was and um, how we were, um, you know, our our position in terms of His righteousness and and our sin. Uh, that was that was very clearly laid out by the Catholic Church. Um, my dad, uh, as an orthodontist, uh, interacted with a number of people in the community uh, who would come into his office. Uh, and there was one family who uh, were missionaries uh, in, in Africa uh, who would, uh, you know, their son needed uh, orthodontist, so they would come into my dad's office regularly. And, uh, you know, they would talk to him about his faith. It was really interesting. They, they engaged him, and, and one day they actually brought him a good news Bible. I don't know if you remember the good news Bibles back then, you know, basically um, trying to make the, the language of the Bible just much more accessible to, you know, the everyday person. Uh, and it was something he had never seen before. So he started to look at it. Uh, and then they invited him to, and my mom, to a Bible study at their house in Glen Ridge and began to share with them 
what it means to to really be a Christ follower, to really be a Christian, and to really understand uh, what Christ had done for us and and the salvation he provides. Uh, It was also through my uncle. My uncle, um, when he was playing for the Colts, uh, was connected with uh, Raymond Barry, um, who uh, obviously was, you know, a well-known Christian athlete uh, and Fellowship of Christian Athletes. So he had uh, reached my uncle as well for Christ, and my uncle became a, a Christian through through that relationship. So again, through those two influence, influences, um, I saw what my dad was going through, and I saw the, the change that uh, came over his life as he um, acknowledged his own sin, acknowledged um, uh, that as a Catholic, he was just, you know, n- not really understanding the, the good news of the gospel and, and, and the power and the peace that comes along with it. But once he got that through his relationship with these missionaries and we actually moved to a new church um, that uh, was much more Bible focused, um, I saw his entire life transform and I realized, hey, this is, this is something I should be thinking about and looking at. About that time, my youngest brother, um, Joshua, was born. And uh, this was the late, late 70s at this point. Uh, and he was born with um, an internal birth defect that threatened his life very early on. This is something that is, is routinely treated nowadays. But back then, uh, it was, uh, uh, you know, a little more rare and, and, and not, you know, not as common. Um, and so, you know, when he would, would try to eat, he couldn't, couldn't digest the food. He just had a blockage uh, in, his, in his intestines. And he would just vomit everything up. So he was gradually losing weight. Um, my dad was very concerned, very upset, and he was wondering, oh, is this because I left the Catholic Church? Like, what's happening? What's God trying to do to me here? Uh, so he literally went um, door to door on my street, knocking on doors, asking people to pray for my, for my brother that, that he would be healed. We went, brought him into uh, Columbia Presbyterian Hospital in New York City, and uh, some of the finest surgeons there were able to see immediately what was going on and, and operate on them and, and clear the blockage. But I remember, um, you know, just seeing all this happening and thinking, you know, I, I just have to pray for my brother. And Lord, if you, if you answer this prayer, I'm, I'm going to commit, commit my life to you. It was a very simple, very childish prayer at that time, but it was something that meant a lot to me. And, uh, How old were you? I was 11 at the time. Mm. And... Uh, so I saw my brother come home from the hospital and uh, and and get better. I, I acknowledged it as 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 a miracle that God had had worked through him and worked through the surgeons at the hospital and were able to to treat him before he got very critical, um, you know, nutritionally. So uh, that was the earliest memory of 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 you know praying and actually seeing God work as a result of that, and that made a tremendous impression on me. Your relationship steps steps of faith, steps in the Christian faith as you moved along. How did football come into the mix for a, a, a young guy that just loved science books, mm-hmm. reading, and working on experiments? Exactly, yeah. Um, again, at the encouragement of my dad, um, I remember going out and trying to play soccer when I was in middle school, and it was just a, it was just a total failure. <laughs> Again, uh, you know, um, off uh, on the sidelines and never really making it on the starting team. Uh, but my dad encouraged me when I got to high school to try out for freshman football. I mean, I guess he saw, you know, I was starting to grow into my uh, my body a bit. I was I was uh, 
getting a little stronger, a little bigger. I was, and I was good at getting in the way of people. So he figured, hey, this is a, this is a perfect lineman. <laughs> perfect lineman. <laughs> and that, that's, what, that's what the coach thought when I, when I showed up for, for freshman football and looked at me and said, I think he could play center for us. When we come back, I want you to share with us what were the circumstances. From freshman football, the circumstances that led you to Brown University. And then, John, let's talk a little bit more about your faith and how your faith grew, even your leadership. You're listening to Dr. John Quazo, a survivor of a spinal cord injury that left him paralyzed from the waist down. That happened in 2014. We'll get into that. But now we're finding out about his football prowess as he himself was discovering that starting in the ninth grade. More from Dr. John Quaz. You can find out about his church, westgate-church.org. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Wandering the road of desperate life Namelessly What can we learn about evangelism? Danny Yamashiro here. Rebecca Manley Pipper wrote in her book, Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World. I once asked a woman if she felt comfortable about evangelism. Oh yes, she responded. I do it twice a week. Somehow it sounded more like taking multiple vitamins. Evangelism isn't just something you do out there and then get back to normal living. Evangelism involves taking people seriously, getting across to their island of concerns and needs, and then sharing Christ as Lord in the context of our natural living situations. Listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life today. Dr. John Quazo is an accomplished small molecule drug discovery leader with experience from target production to investigational new drug IND approval. His deep expertise is in biochemistry, biophysics, and cell biology, with a focus on oncology and inflammatory disease. He joins us today. You can find out more about his church. He's an elder at his church at Westgate Church in Weston, Mass., westgate-church.org. John, before our break, you were just about to tell us how God led you from being a freshman football player to a center at Brown University. Yep, thanks, Danny. Um, so as I said, uh, when I showed up for uh, freshman football practice, my coach looked at me and said, you should, you should play center. So I didn't really know um, what that was, uh, but he, he walked me through uh, all the different uh, uh, you know, key parts of being a center, number, being, number one, being able to snap the ball. So uh, he showed me how to do that. And in order to speed that up, he handed me a quarter and he said, put this on your elbow and uh, then uh, try to, you know, drop your elbow down and, and snatch the quarter out of midair. And that really mimicked the, the snapping motion. So I did that and practiced it and 
kept putting more and more quarters on until that got faster and faster. So my snap got better and better. And then he taught me how to block, uh, you know, drive people out of the way and also protect protect the quarterback and how not to throw blocks that, you know, were, were, were called uh, uh, lookout blocks where you turn around to the quarterback and say, hey, look out, there's someone coming. <laughs> um, but uh, but uh, when I, you know, so freshman year was fine, but then I really learned uh, more about football when I tried out for varsity my sophomore year. Uh, they put me up against uh, two of the strongest uh, senior defensive linemen uh, and then put a camera behind me and, um, you know, said go. Uh, and I had no idea what to expect. Before I even got out of my stance, the two uh, senior linemen knocked me backwards almost into the camera, basically. Uh, and uh, I learned very quickly that uh, it was not up to par in terms of the strength I would need for that position. Uh, and they, they showed that film that night at practice to the, you know, enjoyment of everyone except me uh, watching, <laughs> watching me get, get knocked backwards over and over again on camera. So I had a decision to make at that point. Either I could just drop it and, and walk away and hang my head or double down and, uh, you know, decide to uh, try to get stronger. Um, you know, after talking to my dad and, and sulking a little bit, I decided, OK, let's, let's, try to, let's try to make this work. So got into the weight room. Uh, started to eat correctly, get the right nutrition, um, and build up my strength. So in my junior and senior year, was able to uh, really compete. Uh, was able to make uh, second team all state in New Jersey uh, my senior year at, at center position and first team all county, and actually won the state championship against uh, Union High School, which was a gigantic football power uh, at the time. And that was because we just we had an ex- amazing team, um, uh, you know, team members who went to big colleges everywhere, Notre Dame. Penn State, all over the place, uh, but it was a, g- a great football team. So as a result of that, had a number of uh, colleges knocking on my door, uh, mostly Ivy Leagues, um, and uh, uh, you know heard from a, a lot of different recruiters um, visiting me at my home, visiting me at my school. But the one that really by the name of Ron Brown, who came from Brown University. So uh, Ron was uh, uh, one of the defensive coaches at Brown. Um, He had uh, played football at Brown uh, and was also a very strong Christian um, and was involved with uh, Fellowship Christian Athletes, Athletes in Action at Brown University. Uh, He's currently on the staff at Nebraska uh, working there and uh, has had a tremendous impact nationally uh, on athletes and student athletes everywhere. So it was really through his uh, uh, connection with me and and his interaction and then meeting other folks when I went on a recruiting trip to Brown that I decided to, to go there and and participate in that, in that program. You have a sense, at least in the way that you're conveying, it sounds like there was a feeling of home. Definitely. There at Brown. Definitely. Describe your spiritual formation Mm -hmm. as a scholar athlete at Brown. Yeah, so um, the, the other reason I chose Brown is it had a thriving Campus Crusade ministry, uh, now called Crew, uh, but it was uh, uh, a number of uh, both uh, student athletes involved uh, as well as students from all over the, the campus. Um, and I really didn't have that opportunity in high school to, uh, you know, the, the youth group I was involved in was small. You know, there weren't a lot of members. Or, or, there weren't too many folks um, that were, you know, student athletes involved. So it was, it was really exciting for me to connect with people who had similar experiences to mine and, and obviously a similar faith to mine when I got to Brown. And that was a tremendous part of my growth. Uh, met a guy by the name of Kyle Atkins, who uh, really became one of my mentors and disciplers while I was there. 
eventually he he uh, uh, married my wife and I when we uh, we uh, got married in Puerto Rico. But Kyle was a, a tremendous impact on my life there at Brown. Um, you know, walking me through uh, how to grow in the Lord, how to deal with uh, you know various ups and downs that that, that came at me during that time, and um, also how to share my faith uh, on a regular basis with with other students. Where did you meet Lilia? Met Lilia at Brown University. Um, I uh, we were the same class. Um, she was also very much involved in uh, the Crusade ministry there, Campus Crusade for Christ ministry. She. Uh, had come up from uh, from Puerto Rico to Brown. She had done a, a summer at Brown prior to that and really enjoyed it, so decided to apply there. Um, and we were both um, in pre-med at the time, so we shared a number of classes and uh, always ended up saving seats for each other and then got connected. And uh, you know, I was excited to uh, to find someone again that really shared my beliefs. And and you know, eventually we decided to share our lives together. So. So she would be in the stands cheering you on? She definitely was. Uh, she was cheering me on and uh, so, um, encouraging me through some, again, you know, the ups and downs of, uh, of uh, winning games, losing, in losing games. She was always, always faithful, always, always there with someone I knew I could talk to and, uh, and share what was going on in my heart with. You have a master's degree in archaeology, but you're a, in, in biophysics, cellular and molecular and so how does archaeology fit in to that was there a fork in the road ever in your pursuits uh definitely yeah so um one of the things that my dad was very interested in uh when he became a christian was understanding um uh, the origins of man uh how did you know we uh become uh you know who we are today and so with background in orthodontics he began studying um, you know, ancient Neanderthal skulls, trying to understand how they were related to uh, what was going on in the biblical account. Uh, and he actually published a book on it, um, you know, that's, that's out there now um, called Buried Alive. And, um, you know, he, he influenced me to, to continue to think about uh, history and archaeology, especially in a biblical context. How does it connect to what we know from, from biblical history? So I was at Brown. I um, there was a number of classes offered in the archaeology department. Uh, Martha Jukowski was a professor there. With, uh, she was a, a fantastic uh, teacher. I also had connections through my dad, um, a guy by the name of Gordon Franz, who was um, connected with some archaeological digs in Israel. So I had a chance between my junior and senior years at Brown to go work at a site called Tel Akish, uh, which is in uh, southern Israel, just south of uh, Jerusalem. Uh, Lachish is famous for, or infamous, I guess you'd say, uh, because it was uh, uh, invaded or, or laid siege to by uh, King Sennacherib, an Assyrian king, uh, back in oh, like 700 BC or so. And uh, uh, it was just before Sennacherib uh, moved on to, to Jerusalem. So he had to take Lachish first before he could go in Jerusalem. And there's all kinds of evidence of uh, you know his his capture both from his palace uh, in Assyria, uh, modern day Iraq, uh, and also from the site of Lachish itself. And of course, this is all clearly recorded uh, in the biblical account of, of of this of this of this attack. So it was really exciting to to be part of that excavation. And uh, I I thought okay maybe maybe you know biophysics is interesting and exciting, but maybe this is this is where I want to point my life uh, to to archaeological work. Ended up getting a, a scholarship to go to Boston University to study uh, archaeology. And what excited me about BU is they had a program that was 
more focused on the, the science of archaeology, so using new techniques like ground-penetrating radar, satellite imagery to identify archaeological sites and to, uh, to um, uh, you know, put them in their proper, proper place in history. So from there, I ended up working on a, a site in southern Iraq uh, called Tel Abu Duwari, um, and uh, uh, it was a, a fascinating city, um, and uh, again, did a you know, was about to do my, my doctoral degree there when um, Saddam Hussein uh, decided to invade Kuwait in uh, 1990, the summer of 1990. So we were there actually in Iraq just before that invasion. In, in fact, we couldn't go on our site for a number of weeks because the military was out there practicing um, on our site, <laughs> preventing us from digging. Uh, we didn't know what they were practicing for at the time, but it became apparent when we, when we came back home. When you think about these experiences that you've had, and looking back, the, the study of history, or evidence of history, going back to Sennacherib, and then you're talking about Saddam Hussein and war, being there where it's happening, what stirs in your heart when you think about the greatness of places, placement, people that you've been around throughout your life? No, it's exciting. I mean, I, it, the Lord has guided me into some amazing opportunities to learn, to, to understand, um, uh, you know, and have a sense of, of what this history was like, you know, to try to put myself back in that time is something I, you know, I always try to do and think of, you know, what was it like for the people you know, we read about in the Bible for the characters that, that, you know, walked around when these cities were fully functioning and uh, when they were uh, at the pinnacle of their, uh, uh, their greatness. And, you know, it, how would, you know, they see it today if they, if they were able to look back and see that, you know, it's just, you know, rubble in the desert now. <laughs> how would they, yeah, how would they, you know, think about their uh, uh, time on earth, you know, when they, that's, know that was the be all end all of of their society today you know and just to to look back and you know understand that uh you know all these nations all these these countries this this these these kingdoms come and go and it's very hard to see that when you're in the midst of it you know how did god lead you into your study of cellular and molecular physiology your phd yeah, so that was a pretty abrupt uh, ending there to my archaeological career when I realized I could not go back and excavate on that site in Iraq because of the, the you know, war that had started there and then the United States' response to that that led to the first Gulf War. I tried to get on a number of other archaeological excavations, but it, you know, a lot of things were shutting down at that time. So I did have my degree in biophysics from Brown, and I knew I enjoyed that work and that study. So my, my wife at that time was uh, at medical school at Tufts, so I, I investigated the program at Tufts because I, we would be literally right across the street from each other. So it was a, <laughs> it was a nice, uh, nice setup there. So I was, uh, I was uh, um, accepted there into the molecular physiology program. And I, and I love physiology because I, as I, you know, when I was a kid way back, I always loved to understand how things work. I mean, I was notorious for... Uh, for taking the toys my dad would give me and uh, break them apart to try to figure out how they were working. So they would be in shambles all over the floor. <laughs> so I was trying to understand, you know, what are the components that, that, that make this thing work and do what it does? Uh, so that's what I, I wanted to do at, at a cellular level, break it down, try to understand how it, how it does what it does. And you've continued to do that <laughs> at Tufts, at MIT, yeah. and in your career now. 
Yep, definitely. Um, you know, now it's more about it, it's sort of okay. Do we understand what's going on in the cell? Do we understand what's going on in normal states? Do we understand what's going wrong in disease states? And how can we correct that? Uh, what are ways we can get convince these these cells or or tumors in this case in oncology to revert back to to normal looking uh, cells? You know, normal phenotypes as they call them in the field. You're listening to Dr. John Quazo speaking of decades in research, and he experienced something in 2014 that he's going to talk about. It has to do with his spine, his spinal cord. It has to do with paralysis. He Here he is today. He actually walked into the studio today. That's part of the story as it is unfolded. But when we come back, you're going to hear from him sharing what happened. How did he make it through? Who was there with him and for him? See, after completing his postdoctoral studies at MIT, Dr. John Quazo joined the Inflammation Signaling Department at Wyeth Pharmaceuticals before becoming the director of, of lead discovery at Praces Pharmaceuticals, later acquired by GlaxoSmithKline. You'll hear more from Dr. John Quazo when we come back. Stay with us. Wondering the road of desperate life Famously beneath the barren James 3.13 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. The Good Life with Dr. Danny is brought to you by generous sponsors. Thank you to Coach Dino Babers and Mrs. Susan Babers. Mr. Edmund Jung and Mrs. May Jung, Mr. Rodney Arias Sr., A1A Electrician, Cedar Assembly of God, and the Thursday Men's Breakfast, Boston. If you, your business, or your church would like to support The Good Life with Dr. Danny, please visit drdanny.live. Join our partnership team. That's drdanny.live. Thank you. You're listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience The Good Life Dr. today. Dr. John Quazo led the efforts to develop novel biochemical and cell-based assay platforms for metabolic disease as director of biology at Syndexa Pharmaceuticals. He is currently the Vice President of Discovery Technologies at Relay Therapeutics in Greater Boston. Before our break, we were talking about a spinal cord injury the year 2014. Look, if you're tuning in right now, maybe caught the tail end of the last segment. This program is yours. Just go to drdanny.live. It's available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and major podcast platforms to find out more about the church that Dr. John Quazo is an elder at, westgate-church.org. What happened, John, in 2014 in the strength of your career? Yeah, so uh, it's, a, it's an interesting way of putting it. So right when, you know, I was at, I was at uh, XCHEM uh, Pharmaceuticals, uh, you know, I had 
all kinds of uh, activities going on. My life was really busy. My kids were um, both in high school, you know, it, kind of the, the peak of busyness. Uh, one day I was uh, uh, headed to work and just felt a, a, a tremendous pain develop in my back. Um, and, uh, you know, initially I thought it was, it was muscular. So I went to see my doctor. Uh, they uh, prescribed some muscle relaxants for me. Um, went ahead and, and also did a, a CAT scan. They, they didn't see anything, um, you know, to, of note there. The muscular accents didn't didn't seem to work, however. Um, so they, you know, they said, well, just you know, give it some time. Uh, I had a, a trip planned uh, to Puerto Rico, actually. So this was in the springtime uh, of 2014, uh, and they said, yeah, fine, go go ahead on the trip. So uh, flew down to Puerto Rico. Um, and you know, another warning sign that cropped up while I was on the plane that <laughs> was actually started to become very uncomfortable was that I was unable to, to urinate. I couldn't, I, I couldn't go to the bathroom, uh, and, uh, should have, should have picked up on that right away. But I, I thought it was a side effect of the medication I was taking that, that would also pass. Uh, we got to Puerto Rico. Um, we, uh, uh, you know, got to the hotel. It was actually Easter, Easter Sunday uh, morning, and I was looking out at the water and, and just feeling weaker and weaker. Uh, my, my bladder was getting bigger and bigger. Um, I, I was starting to uh, lose stability. I, I was holding on to my son as I got out of the plane. Again, you know, blaming it all on the medicine. So I stopped taking the medicine, and, and, and these side effects, or what I thought were side effects, didn't stop. Uh, my wife immediately realized what was going on. There was some kind of, uh, you know, nerve injury happening and, uh, uh, dragged me right into the emergency room there in Puerto Rico, uh, moved around to a couple of different hospitals there. It was, they, they didn't really know what was happening. In fact, one of the, the doctors thought I had a, uh, a spinal tumor that was developing, that was shutting down, um, you know, my lower body, um, I finally asked if I could, you know, fly safely back to Boston. And, uh, you know, this was after a couple of days in various ERs in Puerto Rico. And they said, yes, yes, it's, it shouldn't be a problem. So um, got back on a flight uh, on a normal uh, JetBlue flight. They were fantastic. Uh, but by that time, I completely lost the use of my legs. So I, I actually tried to get out of the gurney to, you know, get into the car my wife had and immediately started falling to the ground. Um, and if it wasn't for the attendant there at the hospital who grabbed me and picked me up, I would have would have hit the ground. Uh, as uh, she drove me to the plane, my legs were just sort of, you know, slapping from <laughs> one side of the car or you know, hitting the car doors as she was turning corners. I had no control over them. Um, got back to Boston and uh, got an ambulance from Logan over to Brigham and Women, Women's Hospital. And immediately uh, after one more uh, uh, you know, scan, they did a, an MRI. They saw what was going on. They saw I was, I was bleeding uh, inside my, my spinal cord and that there was blood dripping down from uh, an injury I had at the, uh, the thoracic level, T11 level of my, my vertebrae. Um, and they recognized what it was right away. It was a cavernous hemangioma, otherwise known as a cavernoma, which is a small cluster of blood vessels that develops uh, congenitally. And it's, it's just a weaker, uh, you know, weak group of blood vessels relative to your normal blood vessels. It's not supported by the you know, same amount of tissue. Uh, and it had burst. Um, and, and I didn't, you know, I just did, that's how what was causing the pain. Uh, I never knew that I had had this sitting in my spinal cord for, you know, 45 plus years. I was, I was 48 at the time. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, was, was completely unable to, unable to walk. So the surgeon, 
Um, you know, Dr. Groff there at Brigham and Women's took me right into the operating room. Uh, they were able to um, get it out. In fact, I, it was really interesting when I went to the operating room because I was surrounded by medical students who were extremely excited to be part of this uh, operation. You know, they were going to get to see a spinal cord operation. So they looked really enthusiastic while I was just sort of lying there on the, <laughs> in the gurney uh, in the stretcher. Um, but, uh, you know, came out of that and uh, uh, was lying in the ICU um, Again, the pain had dissipated now because they had been able to to deal with the source of the pain, but uh, but there was still um, you know residual injury in my spinal cord, residual swelling that uh, was was preventing me from walking. Um, so I ended up uh, going to Spalding Hospital in Charlestown and spending um, you know about a month and a half, you know, close to it was, it was basically almost exactly forty days there uh, in very aggressive rehab. Uh, the the folks they have there are amazing. They, um, got me, uh, you know, taught me how to get out of bed right away. Uh, you know, how to, how to function in a wheelchair, how to, um, you know, learn from scratch, how to walk again. And that basically meant learning how to crawl again. So they started me on the floor on mats, crawling, uh, you know, getting me into kneeling positions, uh, challenging me more and more. They, they, you know, surprise me and push me on a side and push me on another side, see how stable I was, you know, try to continue to build up my strength, a lot of strength, a lot of exercises. I basically started all over again. Like, you know, I was a baby and, and I had to learn, learn how to walk from scratch, reprogram my, uh, my muscles and nerves to, to relearn all that. Describe John, some of the, the thoughts mm-hmm. and feelings that swirled around you during that time. Well, the biggest thing was just the quietness and 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 uh, and the fact that you know my busy life had just come to an absolute stop, <laughs> and there I was lying on my hospital bed, um, unable to go to work, unable to walk, unable to you know go see the sporting events that my my kids were involved in. My daughter was a was figure skating at the time. My son was playing basketball. Uh, it was just this sense of you know time out. Uh, you know, like, like, like I said, like someone had called a timeout in my life and, uh, uh, I was lying there wondering, you know, how long this would last for, would I ever be able to walk again? Would I ever be able to be, uh, involved in, in these activities like I had before? Um, and, uh, that was, it was really saddening and, uh, and, and very sobering thought. What lessons, what lessons did you learn about? about family and faith and friends and the, medical the, community. Yeah. The amazing medical community we have here was the first thing I learned about how they're committed to, uh, how they were committed to, to seeing me walk again. My family, my dad coming in and, and telling me I'd be able to walk again, um, you know, predicting that where I lie there in bed and, you know, unable to, to you know, even uh, support myself. Uh, the, my, you know, all the people at Westgate who came, uh, uh, the pastors who would regularly come, uh, Bruce Daggett, uh, Brandon at the time was a pastor there. They'd come and visit me regularly. Um, you know, even as I was being wheeled into surgery, they were there praying with me. Um, and that was absolutely critical for, for me to have the strength, uh, and what I needed, you know, to get through this and, and to get through the, uh, all of the, the therapy that, uh, that lay ahead of me. 
So my wife, obviously, my kids there all the time, um, you know, cheering me on, supporting me, and, uh, you know, reading back or, or, or telling me back the things I had told them when they had faced difficulties. You know, Dad, you can do this, as, you know, as opposed to me telling them they could make it through a difficult, you know, skating fall or, or uh, you know, problem on the basketball court. Uh, they were, they had kind of, all the tables were turned, and they were, they were you know, encouraging me and pushing me. You mentioned your, your father. Saying words of affirmation to you. Take us back. Let's relive that moment, if you would. Allow us to hear and be there. Describe what did he say exactly? Yeah, he was, you know, from the first day I was in rehab, uh, he was confident that uh, um, I would be. Uh, on my feet again, and he was just a man of faith, uh, you know, and he prayed that prayer over me. Um, he, you know, had no doubts at all in his mind about that, whereas I was surrounded by doubt and fear and, and concern. Uh, he was able to just, just look right in my eyes and tell me, you know, John, you will walk again. You're, you're not going to be stuck in a wheelchair the rest of your life. Um, and I'm not saying that that was a you know, I, I know many, I got to meet many people who had been through even farther traumatic situation than I was and prayed for them and worked with them. And I was on the, the spinal cord floor there at Spalding and they were suffering from uh, innumerable different injuries. And, uh, you know, um, but, but I was very grateful that he said that and that the, that the team at Spalding, you know, was committed to that, to that end as well. Sometimes someone coming in and just speaking very clearly you mentioned he looked you in the eye and mm -hmm. said it and of course it's your father mm -hmm. saying the man you looked up to all your life saying that to you a word of affirmation how powerful that is a word of faith in that way john when we come back in our final segment i'm just you know you talked about feeling like there was a timeout in life someone listening today is side sideswiped with news sideswiped with a condition sideswiped with a financial scenario and it's a it's a it's a timeout for them i'm wondering if you can share a word of encouragement more from dr john quazo westgate-church.org stay with us we'll be right back wandering the road of desperate life aimlessly beneath the barren sky on behalf of Danny Yamashiro Ministries, thank you from the bottom of our hearts for listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, weekdays at 6 p.m. on W and visiting drdanny.live for more resources. My dear friend, it is because of listeners and donors like you that we are able to spread the message of Jesus' love and bring hope to people like you, your family, and friends. Proverbs 11.25 says, He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Will you prayerfully consider donating to Danny Yamashiro Ministries so that we may continue to broadcast the gospel so believers will be built up and non-believers may form a relationship with Jesus Christ? Visit drdanny.live to make a financial contribution today. That's drdanny.live. And thank you again for supporting The Good Life with Dr. Danny. May God richly bless you with The Good Life. Listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny. 
a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of is calling you. Now let's join Dr. D. Experience the good As life today. As a center at Brown University, John Quazo Jr. received the Broomhead Memorial Trophy given to the football player whose continuous and generous contributions to Brown athletics and loyal devotion to the university make him an ambassador of Brown in the tradition of Fred Broomhead. He served as a president of Campus Crusade for Christ and as coordinator of the athletic peer counselors. 27 years later, after receiving his PhD in cellular and molecular physiology, in the strength of his career, he was paralyzed because of a spinal cord injury. He recovered from that injury, but he describes that time as a timeout in life. John Quazo, this time out in life, somebody listening today may feel paralyzed in, could be a physical way, could be a mental way, an emotional way, a relational way. What would you say? Or how, how do you believe the Lord would have you share a word of encouragement to someone in that predicament? Yeah, I just from the the experience that the Lord has given me, I would say to you know make sure you're in, you know in those times it's so easy to pull inwards and to to think you're the only one dealing with this, you're the only one who suffered with this, you know, um, and to just weigh yourself down that way. Um, I had a as I said a number of people who made it their job to come see me and to encourage me. One of them was a, a friend from Brown who became a pastor here in the Boston area, by a guy by the name of Fred Elliott. And one of the things he did was be a penny, and he made me read what it said on the penny. He said, what, is it, what does it say on there, John? I said, it says, in God we trust. And he said, you're going to remember that because, uh, you know, you have, to, you have to look to him, look to him for your strength. And one of my mom's favorite verses uh, was always Proverbs 3, uh, five through six, which so trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. So I thought I was way off the path uh, that I was supposed to be on while I was lying there in my hospital bed. But as I saw the, the love and the encouragement and the strength of others, and as I welcomed that, as, my, as I opened my heart to that, as I opened my heart to the situation God had put me in, he started to really help me see that I was on the path. I was on the right path that he wanted me to be on. Say more about opening your heart to the situation that God had you in. Yeah, I mean, one of the times that it really became obvious to me was um, when I had some visitors, again, from the hospital, volunteers at the hospital, who would come in and ask me uh, if they could read the word to me, read, read the Bible to me. Uh, and again, these were people who would just go around from room to room and ask patients uh, if they could do that. And uh, so this one woman came in and read, read from the Psalms to me, and it was like I had never heard that verse before. It was, uh, you know, when, when we're so busy in our lives and we have so many other things going through our head, it's really difficult to concentrate on God's Word and to understand the impact and, and what's really going on in that, in that passage. But when everything had stopped, when I was in this timeout, those words, you know, the, of support and strength from the Psalms, 
it just sounded so different and sounded so real. And I hung on to every word um, because of, of the situation I was in. Uh, and just her reading that was um, a revolutionary, uh, you know, in my, in, in just the strength and the peace that it brought me was, was so different than when I'd ever heard it before. And I'd heard those verses, you know, many, many times before, but just that being in that time, in that moment, um, I just remember them ringing in my head like, like they never had before. And, and accepting that and understanding that and understanding that truth um, was, was absolutely critical for me to, to get back up every day and to get to the physical rehab and to actually see it, you know, day by day start to get me closer and closer to, to being up on my feet again. You talk about up on your feet again. I mentioned that you walked into the studio today I also saw a picture of you riding a recumbent bike and that you rode that recumbent bike for over 50 miles, mm-hmm. but then also that you've done some running. Was it a 5K that you've done recently? Yep. Yeah. How did you come from being paralyzed to actually running and going over 50 miles on a recumbent? Yeah. So again, uh, the, the folks at Spalding, um, you know, as they taught me to crawl and taught me to walk, they, they said, don't stop there, you know, continue to, you know, push your body. Don't, you know, because as we lay down, as we, as we rest, as we, we stop, your body starts to, you know, shut down. I mean, I was starting to get, to get blood clots from being in bed so much from being inactive. I said, look, you need to continue to push yourself and not, not let this uh, injury get the better of you. So one commitment I made to myself and I actually spoke about it, uh, on an Easter at Westgate, uh, when I was asked to, to, to walk through my testimony, I, I committed myself there in front of the congregation. I said, you know, I, I'm committed to running a five, an official 5k again. Um, and, uh, and, and I know that the, the Lord will help me, help me do that. So I, I, I trained on treadmills. I, I started to train outside. I actually was able to connect with, uh, an experimental therapy that, uh, a doctor at, uh, at, at Spalding offered, uh, here in Cambridge, Massachusetts, that, uh, involved some, some new approaches to treating spinal cord and made, made some significant improvements. Uh, it was, uh, it's called the Inspire Lab. Um, it's in, uh, in, in the Cambridge branch of Spalding. Uh, so from there, I gained, gained further strength. Uh, they, they would you know, give me this therapy, which was essentially a, a low oxygen therapy that I'd breathe intermittently. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it's, I think it's gaining steam. I mean, hopefully it'll be a first, first round of treatment for new spinal cord injury patients sometime in the future as it becomes, uh, more uh, understood. Um, and it, it, it gave me a, a boost. Um, and, uh, I, I, like I said, I started to push my distance on the treadmill and then back in 2021, uh, out on Cape Cod, uh, my son and I signed up for, uh, an official 5k. Uh, and I was excited to, to give it a try. Um, and, uh, we completed it together and it was really exciting to do it with him, uh, and to see the, the joy in his face, um, as, as I made it, uh, that distance. In fact, it was actually a little longer than 5k. They rerouted us on a different route, so, <laughs> but, um, but it was fun and, uh, uh, just exciting to, to be there at the end and, and realize that I had, you know, actually fulfilled the the commitment that you know the lord had given me to to try to try to push through and then with the trikes again that was something that came out of the um 
the rehab that the, the folks at Spalding had put me on my first trike. Uh, it's, it's very difficult for me to balance on two wheels now. And I'd, I'd done a lot of riding on two wheel bicycles, actually inspired by some of my friends at Westgate. Um, Doran Abel had you know, pushed me to, to, to ride further and further. And I'd done 60 miles with him before my injury up and down Mount Wachusett, something he had challenged me to do. Um, so I always wanted to get back to something close to that distance and was able to do 50 miles in a recent ride for the American Cancer Society this past year. A prayer. John Quazza, will you pray? Will you pray for someone right now who needs an encouragement, but also a touch from Almighty God? Please. Dear Father, we come to you today and we thank you. I thank you personally for uh, what you've brought me through and what you've taught me through um, my spinal cord injury and you know the time that I was there in the hospital and the recovery you blessed me with, but also for the people that you surrounded me with, your people, people that were faithful and encouraging and uh, committed to, to seeing me get up out of that bed and walk again. And Lord, I pray for anyone today who's in a situation where they feel like they're in a timeout, where they're suffering from something that they, they didn't expect, they don't understand, they don't know where it came from. And even if they do understand and know where it came from, Lord, I pray for them too, that they would sit down and, 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 and think about where they are today, understand those circumstances, understand that they are uh, on the path that you provided for them. And Lord, bring them your encouragement, bring them people, bring them strength, uh, surround them with faithful uh, Christians who would give them your joy and your support and most of all your love in their lives to help transform their situation, to help them uh, make the best of where they are. Uh, if uh, they are looking to get up and walk again, Lord, have them get up and walk again. If they're looking to get out of this, uh, whatever trouble they're in, Lord, give them and guide them on that path. Lord, there's no instant, um, uh, you know, uh, miracles all the time. I mean, we, we know that you perform them here when you are on earth, but sometimes it's a, it's a longer effort. It's a longer commitment to, uh, to return. And Lord, give them the, the patience and uh, the encouragement they need to make it through, you know, taking these steps day by day to, to head in the direction that, uh, of, of restoration and of, of you know, giving the hope they need to, to get to that point in their lives. We pray this in, in your name. Amen. 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 John, thank you so much for, for being with us today, for sharing your heart with us, inspiring words from the Lord through his servant, Dr. John Quazo. Find out more about Westgate Church at westgate-church.org. My friend, God's timing is perfect, and there's no better time than right now to share the love of Jesus with someone near you. And look, if you haven't done so, hey, I believe this may be that perfect moment for you to open your heart to Jesus Christ. Go to drdanny.live for next steps and, and find resources to reach family and friends. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and podcast platforms. Psalm 41, verse 3, The Lord sustains him on his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to full health. It's always a blessing to be with you. Thank you to John Quazo, westgate-church.org. Until next time, along with my producer, David Nasora. Creative Director Brian Torres, Social Media Director Luke Yamashiro, and Guest Coordinator Jan Yi. I'm Danny Yamashiro. Remember, the Lord is with you 
as you share the love of Jesus with someone today. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of The Good Life with Dr. Danny. We hope that today's program has been a blessing for you and that you may find hope in hearing how God's Word affects people from all walks of life. The Good Life with Dr. Danny is a listener-supported program, and we'd like for you to prayerfully consider becoming a sponsor or donor. To contact Dr. Danny and learn more about the ministry, visit drdanny.live. That's drdanny.live. Be sure to tune in weekdays at 6 p.m. to hear The Good Life with Dr. Danny. Until next time, may God richly bless you with The Good Life.